This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and streaming in audio on AMIplus.ca. I'm Alex Smythe in for Dave. For a long time, hydrogen was seen as a questionable alternative to fossil fuels. This was largely due to the cost and the fossil fuels involved with its production. However, new deposits of naturally occurring hydrogen are renewing interest in the alternative. Explain more and about why green hydrogen is suddenly becoming a renewable energy alternative. Is Lawrence Gunther. Lawrence is the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther on AMI-audio. Hello, Lawrence. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. That's great. So how can hydrogen assist in that move and transition away from fossil fuels? Well, you know, we learned, like, back in 1842... Long, that's a long time ago, right? That you could take hydrogen, you could take water, and you could separate the hydrogen from the oxygen, and it would release electrons, you know, electricity, right? So it was a hundred years later, they finally had a sort of working model of that. But by then, you know, fuel, gasoline, oil, it was all the rage, and no one needed the hydrogen. So it just sat. And it came back around, but you know, then there was the cost of making hydrogen. You had to take coal or, or you know, hydroelectricity or fossil fuels, you know, and, and, and create hydrogen, use it to sort of make that separation and create that hydrogen cells because they didn't know it was occurring naturally in any sort of great amount. But now we know that. So, you know, maybe it's, it's time. Maybe it's time to, to give it another good look. And so when it comes to hydrogen, like, how can it be used? Because we, we've heard a couple mm. of different, like, car manufacturers, like, uh, kind of put out, like, and toy with the idea of a hydrogen-powered car or things like that. But mm. how else could hydrogen be used in our daily lives? Well, the big question with the hydrogen car, and Toyota came up with uh, uh, some models 10 years ago. They had a, a test going on in California. They had three or four stations where you could fuel up. But it's like, how do you get the hydrogen out there? You know, it's like propane, right? You got to carry it around in these big tanks. It's combustible. It's compressed. It's liquefied, even more dangerous. You know, it's it's an explosive. It's, you know, like it's creating a whole new network of gas stations and trucks to fill up those gas stations and distribution. It's a lot of infrastructure. So it really didn't go anywhere. Then they were thinking, well, maybe for big ships and trains and, uh, and, and large transport trucks, they could use it for that. But uh, now we we're thinking that, you know, it wouldn't be a bad thing to put in electric vehicles because you could, you know, use the hydrogen cell, you know, where you basically take hydrogen and, and uh, it creates two products, it creates electricity and water and use that to drive your electric vehicle. You can also burn it, right? Like hydrogen is combustible. It's a gas. So you can burn it and create intensive heat for industrial processes, for manufacturing. You can mix it with other natural gases and, and things like that as well. So there's a few options there for di different uses. And so with regards to vehicles, and, and as you mentioned, uh, maybe bringing it into electric vehicles, how would the hydrogen fuel cells like work with the batteries? Because batteries and uh, EVs is really that kind of big question. It's like, how, how sustainable are they? How long is it going to, like, what is, would the impact of having introducing hydrogen fuel cells to the batteries be? 
You know, that's the that's the million dollar question, right? Because batteries are really the trillion dollar question. Everyone wants to make the ultimate battery that's super light, that's super efficient, that charges really fast, that you can charge many, many times, you know, that holds a giant charge. But right now what we have are batteries that weigh a lot. So like, a, you know, in a pickup truck like the uh, Ford 150 Lightning, you could have maybe 2,500 pounds of batteries in that truck. You know, they they really add up when you want to go far with it with batteries. The weight adds up pretty significantly. So you have to have a bigger vehicle, a more solid vehicle to carry that, and, and, and the cost of the battery. So what you can have with the hydrogen fuel cell, you're not going to eliminate the batteries because you're producing electricity. It's not like a gas pedal, an accelerator in your car where you can just press down and it makes more electricity really fast. And then you take off or you let your foot off the accelerator and you slow down because it creates less electricity. It doesn't work like that. But if you had a few batteries in the vehicle, you could have the generator, the hydrogen fuel cell generator, charging the batteries constantly, you know, with a with that trickle generation. And the batteries, what batteries are really good for is, you know, like flicking on a light and turning it off, turning on an electric motor and turning it off. Batteries can have a big push, a big power surge, and you can control that with accelerators, with controllers, you know, don't get in, into all the technology. So really, you're looking at two. You look at the generator of the hydrogen fuel cell, and then you look at the battery to capture that energy and then to give it to you on demand as needed. Now, you did mention that we've, we've started to identify the hydrogen is forming naturally in the environment. What are environmentalists saying about capturing that hydrogen or, or potentially mining that hydrogen? Yeah, there's two thoughts on that one. One is that, you know, hydrogen, can't, it's not a greenhouse gas in itself, but there is, uh, if it does float up into the atmosphere, it can react with other uh, atmospheric particles and create a, a greenhouse gas type effect. So, you know, as soon as you start extracting it from the ground, you, you're running big pipes into the ground, you're taken out of the pipes, you're putting it into other pipes, you're putting it into other tanks and out of those tanks and into other pipes and trucks and tanks and such. So every time there's a join, every time there's a connector, there's a leakage, right? So environmentalists are saying, we're just going to add to a lot of leakage, a lot of seepage of hydrogen. And once it it, it escapes, it floats up pretty quick. So it's uh, you can't really capture it. Propane, you know, sort of is heavier. It just floats, it rests on the ground. Hydrogen is lighter, so it, it goes up. But others are saying, you know, we already have seepage of naturally occurring hydrogen taking place, fairy circles, apparently, where you have these bleached out round areas on the ground. It's caused by natural hydrogen seepage. It, it sort of bleaches the ground and, and everything above it. And you, you end up with these fairy circle kind of um, patterns on the ground. And that's naturally occurring and seeping hydrogen. So others are saying, you know what, if we captured that, we might be able to reduce the amount of natural hydrogen seepage going into the atmosphere. And that would be a good thing. Now, the the question, whenever a alternative or a green alternative is proposed, it always comes down to the, the price and the cost. So what are the costs around the use of hydrogen? I don't know. I looked a little bit into this, but, you know, can you really trust it? They're saying $1,000 to get a ton of hydrogen, which is way cheaper than extracting fossil fuels. 
So, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe that's true. You know, you wouldn't know until you really scale up. I mean, they, they said when they uh, proposed nuclear reactors that we'd have free electricity, right? Well, that didn't turn out. So, you know, we realized later the cost of maintaining those nuclear power plants. The other cost is, again, you know, this, the movement of hydrogen around, you know, getting it to fueling stations, getting it from the ground through, you know, various conveyances to a station where you can pull up with your hydrogen fuel cell power vehicle and, and top up your propane tank and, 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 and keep traveling. So those are significant costs for sure. But, you know, it, there's a chance, you know, you could get, if you had a tap into it and you could sort of get a giant tank of it and then move that tank sort of to, you know, where maybe a, a port where all the ships come and you could fuel up a bunch of ships and they could go across the ocean and and just with hydrogen fuel instead of that nasty uh, bunker fuel that they're burning now. That would be fantastic. Or, or a truck station and you could fuel up a, a transport truck or, you know, for industrial processes like creating aluminum, which are super high uh, electricity, um, you know, intensive product uh, processes or or creating steel or other manufacturing processes, you know, you'd only have to move it into one spot and you could fire up those processes. So there's some immediate um, benefits right there that we could have with this naturally occurring hydrogen. Yeah, because you you have mentioned the fact that it's like uh, the challenge of transporting the hydrogen, getting it to the consumers. But if you kind of contain it in these centralized areas or locations that you're using it in a specific way, okay, there can be the benefit. What other potential drawbacks might there be beyond just the the transportation of the hydrogen itself? Well, it, it's 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 a gas, right? So it's dangerous. You know, as soon as you start carrying around giant cylinders of propane, you know, think about propane barbecue tanks, right? You know, we all know barbecue tanks and, you know, that's 20 pounds of propane. You know, you're going to get more than that if you try to fuel an electric vehicle. You need more than 20 pounds of propane. So in a sense, you're, you know, you become a sort of a, a rolling um, bomb that could go off if you were impacted incorrectly and, and and something happened but you know we're carrying gas around in our our vehicles now you know 30 40 gallons of gas that stuff's not exactly water right that goes up in a, in a flame and can spill out quite easily from its gas tank and in, in an accident so yeah there's ways of containing that you know we could we could deal with that and and uh, and figure something out i think you know, if there's a will, there's a way. I think the fossil fuel industry, maybe, you know, we were so dependent and 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 hooked on to internal combustion engines and fossil fuel, and that was the way to go. And we love the automobile, so there wasn't really much room for this. But there, now we're looking for alternatives, and we know batteries is, you know, we think well, no, batteries are going to get better and faster and lighter, but. Is it going to happen soon enough? And 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 then what does it take to make a battery? All those rare metals and where do they come from? So maybe maybe it's hydrogen's chance, right? Like this is kind of like the uh, you know the Betamax versus VHF uh, wars back in the 1980s. You know which is going to win? I don't think it's going to be one or the other. I think I think we're going to have a mix, you know, of solar and wind and hydro. And it looks like uh, nuclear is coming back too, but uh, maybe hydrogen is going to be a solution. They say there's enough underground that could satisfy our energy needs for hundreds of years. Wow. Well, Lawrence, we burned through this conversation, but before <laughs> I let you go, I need to find out what's coming up on the next episode of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther.
Well, we're trying to stay seasonal, right? So we're going to look into the world of snowy owls, right? And, you know, and, and really, these are mystic beasts. I mean, they hunt in them during the day, not like owl, other owls that hunt at night and hide during the day. These owls come out. You, you can you can easily, you know, encounter one. They're fairly fearless. I mean, you can walk right up to them, and and you would think, "Why? Wow, what's is that dead?" And then, you know, you can get within four or five feet of them in the, in the wild and they just stand there and they're just waiting for something to come along that they can eat. They're not afraid, but yeah, let's, we're going to learn more about snowy owls with Lily. Oh, that sounds great. Lauren, thank you. Have yourself a wonderful day. You too. That was Lawrence Gunther in Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther airs weekends at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. Coming up in 60 seconds, Elizabeth Moeller is here to share the weather story of the day. But first, here's Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index rose modestly yesterday while U.S. markets were mixed ahead of today's U.S. inflation report. Toronto's TSX index gained 57 points to close at 21,067. New York's Dow Jones average gained 125 points and the Nasdaq lost 48. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index returned from holiday and surged 2.9% on tech-related gains and strong corporate earnings. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.30. Cents US. A BC nonprofit organization, Stand.Earth, says athletic wear giant Lululemon is misleading customers about its environmental impacts. It has asked Canada's Competition Bureau to investigate the Vancouver based company. And Tiger Woods and Sunday Red is no longer just a shirt, it's a brand. The golf legend announcing in LA last night an extended partnership with Tailor Made Golf to launch a lifestyle brand that will be called Sunday Red. From the Canadian press, Business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. It's now time for the Weather Report with Elizabeth Moeller. Elizabeth, you have the weather of Southern Ontario on your mind today. I do, and after that conversation about hydrogen where you floated away, I'm here to bring you back down to earth with some sinking temperatures, unfortunately. So we saw that in December and January, they were warmer than usual in Ontario, and that was largely due to the El Nino. But that above seasonal trend, we did see that it continued into the start of February with the first 10 days of the month being dominated by very warm and mild temperatures. Uh, we saw this especially in the south where we surpassed 15 degrees Celsius in Windsor, London, Hamilton and Toronto. This warm start made February the warmest month on record for most of Ontario. And Southern Ontario was six to eight degrees warmer than usual, while Northern Ontario was 12 to 15 degrees Celsius above normal. Even though the North wasn't as warm as the South, it was still pretty warm and it was much warmer than usual. But sadly, this mild weather is over now. We're gonna expect temperatures to be around freezing in the South and and below minus 10 in the north part of Ontario this week. So as February goes on, it is going to get even colder. So it looks like we're going to have to wait a little while for spring, Alex. But I don't know about you. Last week, I think it was Friday. I was out without a coat. It was 16 degrees where I was. So, you know, I was able to enjoy a little bit of a sneak peek of spring. Yeah, exactly. It was just that amuse-boost, that little taste uh, to little enjoy taste. before the, the cold weather inevitably returned. But... 
We're still in February. It's okay. It's once we get into March, once we get into April, yeah. that's the type of weather conditions I want to experience then. I'm okay with Me it too. being in the negatives for February. Elizabeth, thank you very much. We'll check in later in the show with you. But coming up after the break, conversations around accommodations in the workplace, it carries on, it continues, because Rabia Hader is here to talk about the potential risks of disclosing and not disclosing your disability to your employer. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.